0: This episode is brought to you in part by the Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Darrell Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table.
1: Is Twitter good or bad for democracy? Is Twitter good or bad for my heart rate? From the Arab Spring to presidential tweets to loving your neighbor, it's the Vice and Virtue. Welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. And coming to you from Chicago, and I'm Chris. And I'm Adam.
0: Chris, do you think technology is ruining democracy?
1: <laughs> You're supposed to say, we're talking about technology and democracy today, but instead you go... <laughs> No, I, oh, oh, ER is ruining everything.
0: No, I just want a yes or no, and then we can we can stop this podcast. It'll be a, the shortest one ever.
1: Today we're talking about technology, and democracy, where I think thoughtfully about the issues, and Adam decides I, I, to, I, to, to, I, to, to. I live. To I live with, with binaries. Apocalypse.
0: Just give me the binary black or white scenario. I just want to say yes or no, and and we can. I mean, that's what happens in democracy. You vote. You either vote this one or that one. It's an either or. And that's what we're doing today. It's a democratic vote. You vote your way. I'll vote mine and we'll be done. No shades
1: of gray. Isn't that democracy? So uh, a lot of big stuff happened with technology and faith and democracy in the last few weeks. The one thing that really got me on this, where did you see this editorial? Christianity Today posted an editorial about Trump. And I the, did. And the impeachment. I did. It was and a in, mic drop, man. In, in words, you know, impeachment and Trump. Is everyone's heart rate already going up? (laughs) Mine is. But somehow I think we're going to try to talk all about technology and democracy without losing friends.
0: Yes. (laughs) Politics. We're going to try and offend everyone equally.
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But there was this big editorial. (laughs) It made some big waves, especially in the evangelical Christian world. But then I woke up the night I saw actually the night they posted it. I did too, yeah. I was like, "Oh, wow, that's a probably a big one." You're not I, supposed
0: to look at your phone before bed. Oh, Chris.
1: I know it was the like screen and the glowing time, and, and yeah. then and then you are
0: up for the next hour just <laughs> just thinking about that editorial.
1: I'm idly scrolling through Instagram. So, but I wake up the next morning and I open Twitter because I do do this sometimes. And <laughs> Twitter is your morning devotion. And I see the big tweet. Donald Trump, the president, has tweeted about Christianity today. The tweeter in chief, and he's tweeted about how it's a horrible editorial, and you know it's a. He said it's a liberal magazine, and and they're failing. Which I mean, we can all have different opinions about this, but they're not liberal, and they're not failing. But <laughs> just because we have friends over there, right? Yeah, and, and some really good Christian people that write for them, but, and a variety of views within the. Organization. Oh, absolutely. Too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Different views. But I'm so I'm watching all day on social media. Are you doing this? I'm watching Facebook and watching it. It was Twitter. pretty incredible. And there's and you know, my one friend who's a pastor posts on Facebook about it and then there's like, you know, fifty two comments within an hour kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm scrolling through these comments and it's scary. Like it's there's Christians that I know because it's like Facebook friends, right? You know a lot right. of people. And I'm watching from different groups that I know and like This one guy's like, yes, finally, like, we were saying what we need to say. And then this other woman that I know is saying, like, how can they attack Trump? You know, he's doing so many good things for Christians. And it just yeah. feels so uncomfortable when you're watching these nested threads and people getting angry or angry at each other. And I start feeling like if Christians cannot—I already know we're a politically divided country. Yeah, I know this is crazy, but when you just see it on your phone in the blue and white, and you're seeing the stuff <laughs> fly back and forth, it makes you feel like is is social media destroying democracy, <laughs> <laughs> or is it destroying Christians in the way we think about democracy? Ah, this, yeah, this? I mean we're.
0: We're fairly well embedded in the evangelical world, evangelical culture. And so, yeah, we both saw a lot of people sort of in some ways coming out of the woodwork to share their opinions about that editorial and their opinions about Republicans and Democrats and how each side is presenting their views and how they're either, you know, evil or or god's gift to mankind i mean seemingly extreme views and people just strongly disagreeing with each other that are christian brothers and sisters
1: and the weird thing about social media is that our eyes see it right there i mean we we've all had conversations around family dinner yeah (laughs) that are a little bit awkward about politics Uh. this is like the weird thing about technology is that it puts it in our hands it makes it constant it makes it visual and so and it makes it the, personal. It makes it personal because it's what it's people we know.
0: I see people I yeah. know sharing their opinions that I didn't know in a very public <laughs> yeah. public context with other friends that I have that maybe
1: don't know each other. Yeah, and that's weird. You get the cross pollination. Yeah. And you're like, Ugh. Yeah. So somehow I feel like this is a good topic today that you and I are trying to talk through. How does the technology of social media or other communications technologies? affect the way people vote or communicate or think about democracy, and then also affect the way Christians (laughs) vote and think about democracy, hopefully without talking about the politics. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Our goal
0: is not to take a side on the politics, really. It's really to look at the space we're using to talk about these things and how that space is shaping the dialogue that's happening. A lot of people are asking these kinds of questions right now. Is technology ruining democracy? The New Yorker had an article can Mark Zuckerberg fix Facebook before it breaks democracy. But 10 years ago, people were saying, "Oh, the internet is going to bring a wave of democracy around the world." And Oh yeah, right. Yeah, like there was something that people were calling the Arab Spring. There were all these pro-democracy I protests. That were happening across the Arab world.
1: Yeah, Libya and Egypt and Bahrain. I actually remember the Bahrain one, and yeah. no one, no one else does, because it was like no. you know CNN Global or something. <laughs> uh, but I, my family lived in Bahrain when I was yeah, when I was uh, in college. Yeah. And so my my dad was stationed there in the military, so we lived in Bahrain. There's a roundabout, you know, roundabouts like the cars like driving. You know, a circle without stoplights. <laughs> the roundabouts in the Middle East are just crazy. You should not do them unless you have highly trained degrees because there are like cars <laughs> with guys with turbans flying around at 60 miles per hour <laughs> on like little cars on like 17 lanes of traffic. But in the Pearl Roundabout, which is the center of downtown Manama and Bahrain, they had a huge protest right. organized on Twitter right. against the Crown Prince. And I remember looking at the news footage and texting my sister and going, Why do you see this? Because we had been there. And so it really stood oh, wow. out to us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the
0: same thing in Tahrir Square. It was a roundabout. And in Egypt, they are protesting Mubarak and eventually he gets deposed and the military comes in and takes over. But there was this wave of enthusiasm and optimism that the internet was bringing this wave that that really like Twitter, all these people were getting on Twitter and finding each other and joining together and, and saying, we want democracy across the Middle East. And the US
1: was looking at that, that and saying, see, this is what the internet can do. Like, I'm not the only one that thinks that my government is right. oppressive. Right. I'm not the only one that thinks that we shouldn't be treating people this way or that the courts are fake or right. whatever it is. Right. And so um, people started getting like solidarity or feeling yeah.
0: like they could organize. All these dissenters are finding each other and they're joining together and yeah. bringing waves of change to the government systems that are in place and in power. So that was 10 years ago. And here we are today asking, is the Internet going to break democracy? <laughs> is breaking our
1: country? Like, how did we get there in a decade? <laughs> I know, I know. I think the first thing we've got to do is say that communications technology and democracy are, like, completely intertwined. They always happen. Yes. At college, if you take a class on -on one-on-one democracy, you're going to wind up talking a lot about journalism Mm -hmm. or the media. You know, when I use the word media, some people hear the media and they think about news, like newspapers and TV. When I use the word media, I think about technologies, communications, (laughs) you know, video and film and radio and audio. But there's a reason why they're so linked together because we're informed by the communication. We mm-hmm. talk to each other through right. that communication, right. and the candidates talk to us through communication, right? Right. So, right. Right. Like, Fundamental one on one. There's all these books. Did you? I saw you had a stack of books for this one too. I, I was did. reading Doris Graber. She's a historian, Ooh, good and she's name. writing elections. Oh, did you notice that your last name? So nice. <laughs> she wrote this elections in the internet age, but back in 2002, so a while ago. Mm. And she was talking Graber's about, always ahead of their time. <laughs> always ahead of their time. <laughs> and she was talking about like in the 1940s, everyone voted like the same party ticket. Like you would just vote down the ticket oh, it was really? A really common okay. thing and then she starts talking about the influence of tv in elections yeah and like you're in my parents like grew up in a world with like walter cronkite mm-hmm. and like nbc and abc and they have these like broke Brokaw, like like sitting behind the the, desk. the big desk and it comes on at night yeah. and everyone watches it and the broadcast media when you and i use broadcast we mean something specific yeah we mean like one to many right 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 Like on radio or TV. Like a one single voice goes out to many. Yeah. Uh, So there's lots of people listening
0: and there's one person talking. Right. And that's about it. And the 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 many are
1: listening. They can't really talk back. And they can't talk back being the key because when we get to, like, social media world, that's, like, totally different, right? Yeah, right? But in broadcast media, our parents sat there in the living room and watched the anchor talk about the news or, or the, you know, you get the first yeah. televised political debates and everyone watches them. Right. And she makes the point that it really changed politics. She said, I don't think Abraham Lincoln, she said in her book, could ever have won <laughs> an election based on being TV. He just didn't. Yeah. He was not an introvert. He wasn't very, like, a, apparently didn't look attractive you know or she talked about fdr <laughs> the president like yeah who was in a wheelchair all right. the time and now he was in the era where it was
0: really important yeah
1: radio is really important but he had to be lifted from the wheelchair mm-hmm. to the podium and he said he wouldn't let photographers take any pictures from between that point where they lifted him from the wheelchair they only could take a picture yeah. after he was at the podium yeah and so this, this communication technology makes a big difference and we're in that era mm-hmm. of broadcast where we're the media sort of gives us everything we need to know about candidates in the elections right and
0: these these news channels whether it's print or radio or television they're all broadcast media and they are the gatekeepers doing the journalism yeah that and and they're sort of managing alongside the the government they're managing the the image of how the government is being portrayed use the word gatekeeper that's good what do you mean yeah well i think so they're deciding what the audience sees or reads right or hears right and so they're sort of managing you know free press has always been a part of in the u.s part of the democratic system right and they say you know a democracy can't really function without a free press to sort of hold the government in check but they're also the gatekeepers Determining what we see, what we read, what we hear.
1: And the interesting thing about the guidekeepers is technology created those, not like laws. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. why a newspaper published things because... You had to have the technology to print the stuff on the paper, and then you had to own the business that distributed those papers to everyone, like, and had little newsies yelling on the corner, like, get your papers, (laughs) you know, like, or you had to have, own a television studio. Like, you couldn't put a television studio with a camera the size of, like, an elephant on wheels in your house. (laughs) Like, you know, you had to, so the technology itself, which required this huge equipment and these big lights and this thing. And this major infrastructure. Yeah. In in this big broadcast antenna right. like the person that became the gatekeeper, the chooser of what gets broadcast or what isn't, is the person that owned the technology.
0: Right. Exactly. And so if they're the gatekeepers and they're working alongside the government or maybe against the government at, at points, mm-hmm. but they're yeah, they're deciding what we see and that is how the the democratic, the government process happens, We what we see is the information we have, and that's how we decide who we vote for. So how does that shift then in the social media age? You kind of mentioned it already, but like that has completely changed that we, we no longer have an the elephant <laughs> we no longer have an elephant sized uh video camera i have one that fits in my pocket
1: <laughs> and i, I can broadcast fits. from there but is it broadcast i have three cameras on mine <laughs> uh no exactly that's, my but iphone that's a triceratops that's, remember <laughs> <laughs> he's pointing at my iphone yeah the the my iphone can now do better video than like the mbc camera from the 1960s ever yeah. could. yeah and so Communication scholars talk about the collapse of the publisher. The collapse of like you can say it different ways. Like right. the author and the reader collapse into one person, right. or the publisher and the or, you know, or the viewer and the broadcaster. Yeah. Or uh, those two things sort of explode into each other because the same person can at one point be the person watching and at another point turn around and be the person yeah. speaking.
0: Yeah. They they even have youtube videos of people reacting to things they're watching they're like reaction films you watch those don't you i don't but i've heard about them (laughs) and apparently people do watch them like somebody watching art there's a there's a podcast of two guys watching the gilmore girls for this first time (laughs) and then they record it and that's a podcast right people can make podcasts out out of anything chris it's crazy (laughs)
1: So, some of the things that change suddenly is that I can load up a Twitter account. People talk about, like, well, everyone went public. Okay. But it's not entirely true that everyone went public in the same cast kind of, as broadcast, right? Because your Twitter account has how many followers? Like, four? I yeah, <laughs> yeah, thought that. Thank you to to those four followers. None <laughs> of us are like super popular, but what I'm saying is that even though there's a place that you can go online, and back in the day we created blogs, and now we use Twitter <laughs> or even you know, Facebook, there's only so many people that are paying attention. Right. So in a world of a lot of voices, everyone doesn't become like Walter Cronkite, like you know, like where he's right. speaking to millions at a time. But there's the potential for you to speak to millions at a right. time. Right. It's a popularity contest at that point, right? Well, that's interesting that you say that it's a, yeah, it's certainly an attention contest. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Whereas Walter Cronkite sort of navigated a certain career path in order to get where he was and he had to know the right people. Now it's a matter of if I have enough, enough people, it doesn't even have to be the right people. If I have enough people, I
1: can have an audience. So the interesting thing is that gatekeeping is happening on social media. But it's happening differently. So what do we mean? I mean, I mean that like an editor at a news broadcast is sort of making decisions about is this newsworthy? Yeah, we're one of the three big television stations in the United States. Do we put this on the air? Right. Do we cross-check sources? They're doing sort of journalism checks. You know, mm-hmm. if you're just typing something on Twitter, you can type any the thing the heck you want. But if you type chickens are blue. Like there's a good chance that people are just going to ignore you. Right. And so there's a gate, there's a crowd gatekeeping going on in right. some ways, right? right? Where a crowd decides. Are they going to share my
0: content or not?
1: Is, as this, part of is it. this useful? Or do I like this? Is this shareable? Is this interesting mm-hmm. or not? In some cases that will filter out some things, right? Yeah. That make no sense. Like chickens yeah. are blue. will get filtered out. Yeah. But what's interesting is it doesn't filter out everything. And it certainly doesn't filter out things around democracy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't filter out what a lot of people are calling fake news or it hasn't thus far so yeah you sort of have the crowds being the gatekeepers but you also have the platforms being the gatekeepers and this is something that facebook and Uh, twitter and and instagram and others have really been challenged with is are they a publisher you know like these old school gatekeepers are they a gatekeeper for these groups are they are they willing to allow certain groups on their platform so there are extremist groups who are espousing views that yeah, right. the majority of people don't agree with right but do they have a right to have a voice in, on that platform and it's been a question you know should facebook censor them do you
1: have an opinion on this I think it's really complicated. Because I was watching AOC. Do you know the congresswoman? Yes. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Wow, thank you, because I was going to have trouble. AOC was, like, grilling Mark Zuckerberg a few months ago, and she was just going after him. And I'm watching people on social media after that cheer her on about, like, hey, why aren't you taking certain things down? And he was saying, well, we just try to remain sort of a neutral arbiter we're not yeah. going to like be in the censorship business yeah and,
0: <laughs> and she really gets social media on one level because she has harnessed it really to get elected
1: oh yeah she's a first-term congressman but she's super popular because she has like how many people a million followers yeah or something? absolutely i have to go correct that number but i'm watching her go after this and people are really sort of on one side of it you know i have both conservative friends and liberal friends saying like yeah go after like facebook is not doing enough here mm-hmm. and i was feeling sympathy for mark zuckerberg don't hate me yeah i'm like isn't facebook just a mirror of everything that's been happening in our democracy yeah and if if an extremist view can
0: get a lot of followers do they deserve to have a voice some people would say no some people would say well they are a mirror of a voice that's out there and so this this is a question that has come to mind for me as as i've been thinking about this you have the pro-democracy dissenters across the middle east and they're joining together to represent a view that isn't getting represented for them and we look at that and we say oh man that's great finally people that are being oppressed have a voice right And, and they're given a voice by social media yeah but now on the other on the flip side We've had sort of social media sweep into democratic societies as well, and what we've seen is actually a wave of nationalism. So we've seen people that are on sort of the far extremes in a nationalist space, and they suddenly have a voice, and it's creating, you know, it sort of creates Brexit, you know, (laughs) this wave of nationalism in Germany, Hungary, Sweden, Poland, France, down in the Philippines,
1: oh, you have all these examples, right? Right. right
0: yeah, right. and then, and I think even in the U.S., you know, our current president has brought visibility to a group of people who feel marginalized. They haven't had yeah. a voice with the gatekeepers in yeah. the broadcast era, right? Right. And right. suddenly they're online and they're gaining a voice. Yeah. And he's given them a voice. Yeah. And so I find that really interesting. You have pro-democratic dissenters, <laughs> right? finding each other you have nationalists
1: finding each other and finding a voice so what do we do with that you're saying that social media isn't necessarily to blame it's actually giving a voice to maybe voices that prior had actually been invisible
0: yeah and so it goes back to your question of you know what what role should facebook and twitter have in giving those people a voice
1: i think in the public dialogue On one of those hearings back, you know, there was Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, the senator from California. I remember her saying to the tech companies, you bear responsibility. You created these platforms and, you know, she's just seeing all these Uh evil things. And it's sort of this idea, again, of a mirror. Is it reflecting reality? I think we don't like to look at what we're seeing. Social media is giving us a way to look at our society that shows us some dark underbellies of things that are hard for us to see. Yeah, The sin and grace of people yeah. are still reflected in social media. What social media does is change a lens in front of us. We start noticing things that we had not noticed before mm-hmm. um, because of the accent or the visualness or the way it groups people together. Mm-hmm. So we start seeing things that we haven't seen before. And we're like, we don't like how this looks, but it's how Christians expect the world to be. Yeah, seeing yeah. Grace all wrapped into it. Yeah. We don't
0: like how it looks, but I think there's something valuable in it gaining visibility. I mean, for us as individuals, it's not until we come to recognize our own faults, our own sins, and, and those things are brought to light that we can really start to deal with them. And I think the same is true in both of these contexts. I think both can bring visibility and expose things that are unjust. If we can bear to see it, we can potentially do something about it. But what we do is the hard thing.
2: God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first mini-series, Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
1: But do you think that really can happen now? Because, and here's a new word that we haven't thrown out. Because of the filter bubble, like do you th- or the echo chamber, as some yeah. people call it, do you think we really can notice it and see all the evil? Or like on Facebook, I see things from my friends, and you and I have talked about this in previous yeah. episodes. Yeah. The algorithm creates yeah. uh, thing. I wind up seeing more of what is like me yeah. usually. Yeah, not because Facebook set out to intend to do that, but most people have friends that are near the same stage of life as them, right. maybe the same ethnicity, maybe the same socioeconomic status, the same education, and they wind up seeing a lot of the same ideas, push back at them all the time. So maybe you don't see the other crudes; You see them out out there, don't you? Like, right. like oh, those other horrible people, but you don't <laughs> see them in your, your trusted group more because of social media because your trusted group becomes a f- bubble. Yes, maybe, but
0: you also started this episode by talking about how you were encountering people on both sides of the divide over that editorial and they were they that's had true, that's true. they had positive yeah, yeah. views and they had negative views and you were right. exposed to it and it was generating a lot of anxiety as, as it tends to because suddenly we are exposed to people who disagree with us.
1: I think the thing that was happening on the Facebook feed, it's a really interesting situation, right? Because those people were all Christians in the church. In my bubble. And uh, for some reason, that bubble hadn't bubbled into two bubbles yet. And so people were actually pretty like, whoa, you think that in <laughs> that thread, right? Yeah. But I think my fear is that it would actually bubble out to where, yeah, all the Christians that agree with the Democrats or something go one direction. All the Christians that agree with the Republicans go into their other bubble. And then those people don't actually see each other anymore. But for some reason, at that point, they were seeing each other and we were being yeah. exposed to different views.
0: Zainab Tufetci is a uh, researcher oh. at University of North Carolina and she <laughs> okay, writes a lot about a lot of this and she wrote about you know how social media took us from Tahrir square to Donald Trump but she she actually argues in that article that filter bubbles aren't totally true i think there's some legitimacy mm. but she she says research shows that we probably encounter a wider variety of opinions than we do offline And I wonder if that is a bit what you were experiencing Mm -hmm. where you're encountering people you don't actually normally maybe, uh, interact with on a daily basis. You've met them, but you don't interact with them about these topics. Have you ever, I think
1: this happens to you, you encounter other opinions and you automatically classify them in your head as, Oh, that's interesting. I should incorporate that. I should think about that more. Okay. Like, that's not my opinion, but that's interesting enough for me to think about it more. Okay. Or you go, oh, those are those other people. That's how they think. Mm-hmm. And we do these fast classifications. I think it has to do with how we trust people or who we see is in an in crowd with us. So, you know, if someone in the church recommends, I don't know, a carpet cleaner, you're like, oh, yeah, they're probably really good because you automatically trust this in crowd person. Yeah. Even if you before you had not liked carpet cleaners at all. I don't know. <laughs> but because there was a belongingness for the source, you are incorporated. Right. Where in other cases, you run across information that's different than you all the time, but you go other, 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 that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. And so you skip over a lot of information. So I think she's right in the sense that we might be seeing other articles or headlines that are different than us, but we automatically exclude them. They don't come into that thing of, like, I'm going to let this influence me.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I think and i think what we are seeing today is we are in some ways exposed to more views than we have in the past i'm suddenly seeing nationalist views or pro democracy views that i hadn't right. seen before and right. and they're gaining visibility whether it's online or that traction is kind of transitioning over to a broadcast medium and they're giving it more visibility as well i mean this you know this ct editorial wouldn't necessarily have gotten the visibility it had until someone like the president chose to amplify it
1: well actually that's a good point because we that should should move us on to our next thing because we started with one to many like like tv broadcasting out through gatekeepers and then we went to many to many of social media and the bouncing back and forth of ideas and organizing and even talking back but then there's been a next stage
0: yes you're right yeah sort of this third wave is that leaders of governments are jumping onto these social media platforms and they're giving them legitimacy, right? So, yeah. you know, Donald Trump jumps on Twitter and it brings legitimacy to Twitter in a way that it hadn't had before. Now, President Barack Obama also used Twitter. He had—he yeah, was, right. I think, the first president to have a Twitter feed. Right, but right. he didn't really use it for anything to... Like government oriented.
1: It wasn't like the official official thing. There was stuff yeah. there, but yeah. like there were still traditional press conferences and everything. Exactly. In Obama's presidency, where Trump hasn't even done press traditional press conferences in like yeah. six months or something now. Yeah. Like Twitter is almost the official thing. Yeah. And the same
0: thing happened back during the Arab Spring when the military took over from Mubarak, they opened up a Facebook page and that became the official. Oh, in Egypt, wow. Yeah, that that became the official way to communicate with the people of Egypt.
1: So it's not only like the governments or the, the people that had been the, the big up top broadcasters are jumping into the many to many stream as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The dissenters had all sort of joined in on social media and now the government officials are coming in as well. And they're they're and it's suddenly giving legitimacy to this space as a place for
1: dialogue, <laughs> Or a place for encounter. I'm trying to decide if that makes me more or less cynical about the social media. Because, I mean, if, if, if you are online on Twitter, I was talking to my dad the other day, and I was like, have you seen Trump's tweets? And he's not on Twitter, so he doesn't see them directly. Mm-hmm. He hears about them on the news. But I'm quoted. on Twitter. you know, I'll see the direct tweet. Trump will tweet, and there'll be 100,000 replies, say, you know, yeah, right? right. <laughs> and the first, like, four replies are gold if you're on social media, because, like, other people will see them. Yeah. And so there are people on Twitter that are just waiting for him to, and then they jump on and there are like rabid supporters of the president and rabid detractors from the president who will jump on and immediately reply like, you did this, you horrible person, or we support you, Donald Trump. And it's interesting. It's sort of not interactive. It is, but like he's in that stream, but you have all these little tiny voices like Uh screaming, jump up and down, jump (laughs) up and down. It's like, it's like, there's a big Lincoln Memorial statue, booming voice over it. And then there's all these little people around it and, uh, you know, one or two get famous for like a hot second yeah it doesn't feel truly many to many it's this weird co-opting of the platform where he's broadcasting out these views and then people are sort of scattering back and then they argue with each other but not Mm -hmm. with him so
0: government leaders are not the only ones jumping on the platform and sort of lending legitimacy to it there's also people that are on the outside, who might be considered bad actors or they're interfering in some way. This is sort of the Cambridge Analytica problem, right? Yeah, right. Or or the Russian interference problem. In uh. October 2017, Facebook disclosed that Russian operatives had published about 80,000 posts and reached 126 million Americans. 126 million Americans. Yeah. Now... It's 126 million Americans who saw those ads, but it's not necessarily that they agreed with those ads.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, but they could have been influenced by them in some way. Mm -hmm. Here's the here's the difference, though. I mean, yeah, like they're doing these ads that are political. They're sort of saying something that um, may either be true or stretch the truth or even false. You wait, like not everyone agrees with everything they see. If I see a political ad or I see an ad for cornflakes and I don't like cornflakes, I'm not like cornflakes. But the Facebook digital stuff is different than like the way t v ads have affected us, and right. the big reason is this thing called micro targeting. yeah,
0: not everybody's seeing the same ad like they are on t v
1: yeah, this micro targeting thing really says like like we were talking about before, like when you look at something like if you already don't think it's a trusted source, you probably probably doesn't win you over mm-hmm. but micro targeting what Russia and other groups were doing were looking at. Who are the people that could be won over? Who are the people that might trust us a little bit? I don't know if you've built Facebook ads. I have for work, you know, because I've managed communication I have, yeah. and social media. And you can do a lot of things. You can go like, okay, I want people between the ages of 49 and 59 years old who are women who live in these two states who have yeah. chihuahuas listed <laughs> as an interest. Yeah. And you can really like micro-target this thing you down, can zero in and really closely. Cambridge Analytica. That's what they were selling. They were saying we are smart enough to look at the data on Facebook and target an ad to the people that will actually be swayed by your ad right suddenly it gets a lot different the people that are seeing that might actually be the people that really change their mind
0: right and they don't necessarily have to convince you of an idea they just have to introduce a question into your mind about the yeah. idea. And I think that that, in some ways is the scary part is just introducing doubt can create this polarization and these questions around, oh, is this person a bad actor?
1: Is this person you know, have malicious ends and goals. There's this woman, and then we're getting to media effects, but there's this woman that gave a TED Talk about Brexit. She's a journalist. Mm -hmm. And her hometown in Wales voted 62% for Brexit, and she was really surprised by it. So she went to her hometown to interview people that she knew and asked them why they voted for it. And she had a lot of people tell her, well, because of all the immigrants, that are going to come to our town. And she looked at the stats on that town, And it's the lowest immigration town in the whole UK. There's almost no immigrants in the town at all. And she's like, but there aren't immigrants in our town. And people were worried about the immigrants in town. And she goes, well, why is there this disconnect? And then she found out that there was a Facebook ad that was micro-targeted towards people in their town that had a picture of a big red arrow saying the number 71 million from it was over a map, uh, a map of Turkey moving up to the UK to her town in Wales, and it said 71 million. Huh. And that was making people think that 71 million people, immigrants, might come in and that there was a big problem. Huh. And one, it wasn't true. There's, it's not going to happen like that. But two, like people were reporting a problem that wasn't there. They saw online and it started persuading them that there was a problem.
0: Yeah, I, I reached out to a friend who has different political views than I have, and I asked her, you know, why do you have these views? And she... She told me some stories about a narrative she had heard that a recent president would take over the country and not allow democracy to continue. And she became fearful of that. And I was like, I've never heard that narrative in my life. And she lives 20 miles away.
1: We live in the same area. So can can people really interfere with technology and social media? I mean... Yes, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, it's hard to like figure, get our heads wrapped around this, but it's sort of people are persuadable in a certain way. The technology allows a micro targeting that wasn't available before. Yeah, and that's
0: the difference. And and one of the great ideas that Zeynep Tufekci had mentioned in terms of advertising is advertising doesn't have to be tied to personas; it could be tied to the content that's on a page or on an article. And that that is a different way of targeting than targeting based on the people and their their interests.
1: So if I'm already reading an article about um,
0: cornflakes, right, then it's going to show you an ad for cornflakes. And that doesn't have to do with, oh, you have an interest in cornflakes. It's that you're reading an article about cornflakes.
1: Or let's push it a little bit crazier if i'm already reading an article about abortion in the united Uh states the article could be factual but an ad could be posted on that page about an abortion and a politician that might push the limits of factual a little bit but it's on the same topics along the same lines and now our brains sort of associate what we're seeing reading it's taking someone's automatic bias and extending it a little bit So how do Christians like sort through it all? Yeah, all this description about how social media and technology affect democracy and we're in the middle of it too. <laughs> and there's big and there's it's not like the technology question is going to sort through all the issues on Christians and like <laughs> what we even think about politics and it's so touchy. I mean, I I was nervous about us doing this topic because people will have very strong political opinions, but I think one thing we should say is that. Christians through time have really tried to think hard about how does the church relate to governments and yeah. there's all sorts of positions, right? Some Christians in time have thought you don't do anything with the government. The government is part of the world. Right. And right. so don't vote. Don't, um, join the military because right. it's a government institution. Right. Don't even take oaths, go to a court, you know, like live in your own community. The church is on community. Yeah. And that's, these days they'll call that position, the Anabaptist position, which is not like Baptists in the U S right. You know, right. theology people will know this, but, Anabaptist sort of links back to the Reformation. It's a certain Mm -hmm. line of thought. Yeah. Like separatist. Yeah. And then you have the Catholic Church for a long time has talked on the very other side of things. Like, hey, the the government and the church almost work together. (laughs) Like in the Middle Ages, it was almost the same thing. You know, (laughs) popes and, and kings play together. These days, the church will still teach about, hey, the church should be a force for life in the world, like Mm -hmm. the church should influence the government around pro-life and around taking care of the poor, and the Catholic charities do actually amazing things that are Jesus-like things. And then you have these different other positions, like the, the Lutheran Church has famously thought there's two and martin luther wrote on this there's two kingdoms one the government over here has the sword and over here the church has sort of the cross and the gospel Hmm. and they don't play with each other (laughs) when you're at church do the gospel stuff that's the important stuff that's it's all about church you see these kind of comments on facebook and then but the government that has nothing to do with the church when i go to church i do this and then the government they've got to do their own thing they're almost two completely different worlds right right and some people think that you know one position that I really like is the, the, the American black church has sort of, sort of said, yeah, the church is separate, but the church has to be a prophetic, like a prophet. Like yeah. you read the prophets in scripture, like call out the injustice yeah. in the world and sort of say, hey, get, the government is doing this badly. We are doing things unjustly, and I think that's another view that's really important. Yeah. So I, I guess a lot of churches have defined, sometimes if you come from one church, That's how you think about politics. Yeah. But this is hard stuff, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it really is. You're right. The church really has encountered politics and government. The church and state has, throughout history, related to each other differently. And we're in the age of social media, so they're going to interact in a new way. And we have to be thinking critically about how we do that for the church still to come. I think another way, and maybe related to that, is for us as Christians— oftentimes we are thinking about the differences between us and those, those differences are dividing us. And I think we as Christians need to spend time just as much time thinking about what we share in common, what we have in common, what connects us together. And Hmm. obviously as Christians, we believe that being in the body of Christ connects us uh, spiritually, but I think it also means that we need to encounter social media with that lens and we need to look for the places of commonality and spend time thinking about how do we engage with this brother and sister when we disagree over this or that issue and how does it, how is that kind of brought under the umbrella of the larger things we, we agree on, the larger commonalities we share together.
1: Yeah, I think outrage culture online, for instance, has a lot of like that person is trash or that group is trash and my group is in. Yeah. And Jesus says, you know, says love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And the love your neighbor part, you you know, in the one retelling of that interaction, the guy goes, well, then who is my neighbor? The, the normal the lawyer. and, and, and jesus tells the story tells the good samaritan story about who his yeah. neighbor is and that whole story is about not otherizing like not demonizing the yeah. other group right. but actually seeing them as someone that god loves and then like aggressively like <laughs> getting yeah. in there i think that's a really hard lesson when you hear someone say a viewpoint online that we don't like or we don't agree with we automatically go they are not with us
0: yeah and i think you know, the, the Bible is also calling us not only to love our neighbors, but to love our enemies. And Jesus calls Ow. us to that. And the reality is that right. sometimes our neighbors and our enemies are the same people. Whoa! And we have to deal with that reality. And our neighbor is no longer just the person who lives next door. It's the person we encounter online. We need to think about our neighbors online as Maybe they are our enemies, but we still have to love them, and how do we do that online? And that, I think, is the call of the church on social media, to not simply fight with one another, not simply be right, but to be loving as well.
1: Okay, Adam, it's that time again. Time for Vice or Virtue. touchscreen
0: voting machines <laughs> <laughs> touchscreens you mean as like opposed to like when you go a vote. paper ballot
1: yeah when you go vote you know like uh, oh
0: man you know i'm old school i mean i i don't know the the whole election tampering <laughs> You know, data, oh, yeah, okay. hacking, hanging chads. <laughs> wow. So, so <laughs> 19 years ago. I know, right? I just like filling in the little Scantron circle <laughs> with my number two pencil oh, and like doing it of thoroughly. Course you do. And uh, I don't know. Have, that, you, you've
1: th- never, have you even tried the touchscreens? You probably I, to I, I, know, I don't think time. I
0: have. <laughs> but
1: there, there's something
0: traditional and like ceremonial about filling in uh, a paper ballot. So, I mean, yeah. Touch screen voting, definitely
1: advice. Uh, so so I think every time I use the touch screen One time I showed up at a ballot place And they didn't have them for some reason It was like just the paper ballot And I'm like, what what, what are you doing to me? You're making me use a pencil From like, uh, I don't know, the 14th century? Like, this, this is so ridiculous No, man, the touchscreen's cool You can click each choice And it lights up on the screen You click next page mm-hmm. You scroll through all your judicial candidates uh, Like they're just right there It uh, gives you a summary at the end hmm.
0: It's digital. It's somebody fast. does sound nice. <laughs> I could just review it on my paper
1: ballot, though. I think, I do think there's security issues to be solved. The, the stuff yeah. not, especially like the state of South Carolina or Alabama have not been good at their IT. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> uh, they got to get it all together. But I, blockchain could help with some of that. So I think touchscreen digital voting devices are a virtue. <laughs> Well, I feel like we're going to have to tweet about this episode a lot, and while we do it, we will watch um, our president tweet, and we will <laughs> watch tweets from the Middle East. Those things are both happening right now, and try to navigate our way through how technology is affecting our sense of democracy.
0: Yeah, we just skimmed the surface on this one. Chris, great conversation. Yeah, man.
1: Hey, let's keep the conversation going. I think it's an argument. Okay. Tweet to us at device virtue. And for links and show notes, check us out at deviceandvirtue.com.
0: And do leave us some love by rating us on iTunes. Please do.